Alpha, about hosting Alpha at Farm and Flower. This is a wonderful spot for people who do not know Jesus. We all have people in our lives that we know that are not followers of Christ. This is a perfect thing to invite them to. Right? They may have questions about faith, but they're not going to come to church on Sunday morning and ask those questions. But coming to Alpha allows them to have the questions, to ask the questions without kind of having this sense of, oh, we're in church, I'm not allowed to ask questions or I'm going to be judged. So if you're thinking of who to invite, just kind of present it to them that way. Hey, we're putting this thing on for people who want to know more about faith, but don't really feel comfortable coming to a church, because we just want to get that conversation started. So that's what Alpha's for. It starts August 28th. Make sure to invite somebody. Um, again, it could be a life-changing experience for them. Uh, my name is Lee, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Last Sunday was the two-year mark since my wife and I moved to Benicia. Uh, yes, yeah, we are, uh, man, it has been more wonderful than I can put into words, so I didn't want to not address that this morning. Um, everything that we wanted with, you know, with the church family, with a job, with a place to live, like God did far and above anything that we had even begun to pray for. And I'm so grateful for this church family. I'm grateful for you guys and the impact you've had on our lives and that. I really believe that God is using our church to move his kingdom forward, and it's just amazing to be a part of that. So I'm so grateful to each of you, um, yeah, for allowing us to be part of that, and for, and for the generosity of our church that allowed someone like myself and then someone like Kyle to be able to come on board so that we can do these things and continue to move God's kingdom forward. We are wrapping up the parables series today. Next week is our fall kickoff, so Pastor Matt's going to speak about all the things involved with that, how we need to get connected, how we need to be serving. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful time, so please come to that. Bring other people. We want to get everyone involved. And so today, I just want to go ahead and jump right in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one on the bottom of the seat in front of you. And if you're using that Bible, like I am, you're on page 714 in that Bible. And feel free to take this home with you. If you don't have a Bible at home, you need one. Again, thanks to the generosity of the people at our church, we're able to do things like this, to get these Bibles and be able to give them away. So please make sure you take one if you don't have one. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, 
Who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right. So that's right. We're going to be talking about money today. Everybody excited? Right? That's right. Yeah, you can use this. This is some great material for you to use at Thanksgiving dinner with families. When you stop talking about politics, you can shift into money, and then everybody goes home happy, right? That's kind of a, that's kind of a win-win. The reason we need to talk about these things, the reason we need to talk about our finances, is because Jesus does. Right? This is not something just that we're throwing around. This is something that Christ has called us to. If we are Christians and all of our life belongs to him, that includes our finances. Right? It includes our time. It includes the things we do. It includes sacrifice, but it also includes our finances. And so we think in theory, yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, people should be putting their money into the things that further God's kingdom. Everybody loves that idea, but not all of us put that idea into practice. And we have lots of reasons we can come up with for why we do or do not do that. But we can see even at this point that this was a problem in Jesus' time. Again, look at verse 8. It says, for the people of this world, this is referring to people who don't follow Christ. People of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. People of the light referring to Christians. So what it's saying is that Jesus is talking about how the people who don't follow Jesus are even more shrewd. We don't like the word shrewd because we have this negative connotation. The actual Greek meaning is wise and sensible. Okay, another word that we would use would be strategic. So Jesus is basically saying we're not being intentional with the things that he has given us. Yet people of the world are intentional. They are strategic. They do plan things out in a much better way than we do. And so... If you have grown up in church, you probably haven't heard this parable preached about a lot, right? For a couple of reasons. The first one is the fact that Jesus commends somebody who acts shrewdly, who he says is shrewd, we don't like that. We don't like that because when we think of the word shrewd, we think of shady business people, right? We think of people who use others to build up their profits. That's what we think of. The second reason is because we don't like talking about money. There's an uncomfortableness within the church, talking about finance. I don't just mean our church specifically, but just the church in general just doesn't enjoy doing that. But these are necessary things. If we're going to follow Christ, that includes all of it, even the parts that make us uncomfortable, especially the parts that make us uncomfortable because they're meant to challenge us. Things should look different about us if we're going to be following Christ. So the first thing that I want to do today is show you that being strategic, being intentional is a necessary part of the Christian life. If you're wanting to follow Christ wholeheartedly, we need to be strategic. We need to be thinking about things. Let's look back at verses 8 and 9. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, when we talk about Jesus commending the shrewd manager, let's let just get something very clear. He is not commending the man's dishonesty, right? The man did a terrible job with managing uh, the account of his master, and then he goes and he cuts this debt that's supposed to go to the master. Jesus at no point is praising the man's dishonesty. He's praising the man's strategic thinking. And so we look back, are there other spots in Scripture where Jesus does this? In Matthew 10, 16, it's going to be up on the, up on the screen. 
But if you want to write it down, just to go back and look at, Jesus is talking to his disciples who he is sending out to spread his message. And he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus wanted his disciples to be cunning and to be strategic in their ministry, but also to be innocent and to be honest in what they were doing. He never said, you know what, let's move the kingdom forward. I don't care how it happens. I don't care who you have to lie to. I don't care what you have to do wrong. Let's just move the kingdom forward and that be it. But no, the Greek word here for doves is the same that's used as the Holy Spirit. Right? So he's sending them out and wants them to be as innocent as doves, but wants them to be thinking, how can I communicate God's message to people in these situations? We have to be intentional about that. Those things do not just happen accidentally. We don't accidentally wake up and go tell everybody at our work about Jesus. We don't accidentally tell our neighbors about Christ. Everything we do has to be strategic. And we're going to continue to see how everything that Jesus did was that as well. So in the eyes of Jesus, being shrewd does not mean being evil and being wicked. It means, listen, let's think about what we're doing. Let's, let's be intentional about what we're doing. And this, this idea of being intentional, and, and again, being strategic, being wise, being sensible, these aren't things that earn salvation, right? This is because we have received salvation from Christ, we want to live in a way where we can make the most of our time here. If you still have breath and you are still on this earth, God is still using you for his purposes. As long as you are here, God has a purpose for you. It's not just for you to sit by and as we get older, just sit back into retirement and just enjoy life doing our own thing. If you are still here, God still has a purpose for you. And so what we want to see is we're going to look at now what steps did this manager take for Jesus to commend his shrewdness or his strategic thinking. The first thing the man does is he assesses the situation. Right? He assesses the situation. In verses three, verse three, the manager said to himself, right, this is just, we're getting a view into his mind. This is what the manager's saying. What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. This is massively important for us to understand. He is honest with himself. He's honest with himself. He says, okay, where's my situation? I don't have a job. And at that time, right, it's not like he can drive four or five cities over and find a new job. That's not possible. Word is going to get around that this guy does not know how to handle anybody's money, so no one is going to hire him. So he's honest about that. Okay, what else? He's also honest. I'm not strong enough to dig. So he's telling himself, well, I'm not any good at physical labor, so I can't do that. And then he's too ashamed to beg. A lot of times, as Christians, we're not honest with ourselves about where we are. Every single one of us thinks we're a solid, great Christian. And everybody, everybody's a Christian. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. That's what, that's what we would tell ourselves. The majority of us, anyway, would tell ourselves that. And so we're not honest. If we take a look over our lives, even what have you done this week? What have you done this month? What have you done the past year where Jesus has used something to bear fruit in your life? Whether you're growing personally, because honestly, you can't control whether or not other people are coming to Christ. But you do have an input on whether or not you personally are growing. Are you spending time in God's word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you having conversations about faith? Right, those are things that we can be doing. So we can say that we're good Christians, we can say that things are going well, but we need to be honest with ourselves. 
We need to be honest with ourselves about where we are and about what we're doing. The second thing that the manager does is after he assesses the goal, the situation, he identifies his goal. So let's look, let's look in uh, verse 4. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So that's his goal. He wants to be welcomed into people's houses. And here's why. Because at that time, being welcomed into somebody's house, it's not the same as it is in 2019. Right? For us, that means, hey, I'm cool with these people coming over for dinner. After dinner's over, they need to leave. Right? That's, that's how we kind of are. I want my time to get ready for bed and get ready to go. But in Jesus' time, if you were welcoming someone into your home, you were taking care of them. Right? You gave them a place to sleep. You fed them. You required nothing of them. And so what he's thinking is, you know what? I, I need to do things so that I'm welcomed into people's homes, so that I will be taken care of. So that's his goal. His goal wasn't something vague like, oh, well, I just need to survive. He was very specific with that. It was very thought out. And that's the thing, again, that we do as Christians, right? I don't mean just goals. We, we make goals in our regular life. We make goals at work. We make goals with our family. We do things like that all the time. How many of us set out faith goals? Right? Like we, we're already believers in Christ. We already have salvation, but we want to continue to grow. And do we even set goals for that? What are we trying to get to? Because I, there have been times I hear people say, you know, I just want to be a better Christian. What does that even mean? Right? That's, that's a pretty vague statement. Again, something that does not happen by accident. Right? So for an example, if you set a goal, you know, I want to read my Bible more. Right? Like that, that's a direct goal. Right now, if the only time you are opening your Bible is on Sunday morning when, when preaching is happening, maybe a goal for you would be, hey, you know what? I want to be reading my Bible three days a week. So that's my goal, right? That's a specific goal. That's something we're being intentional about because as Christians, we know the more time we spend in God's word, the better that's going to be for us, right? If, you, if you, the only time right now that you open it is on Sunday morning, Setting a goal of opening your Bible every day of the week, like starting tomorrow, is probably not going to happen, right? So let's be honest with where we are, and let's figure out what our goals are. And then the third thing this manager does is he creates and executes a plan. So he had his goal, but a goal by itself doesn't, nothing happens. Nothing happens, right? Again, this idea of having a goal of reading your Bible three times a week without a plan, it's not going to happen. If you're not reading it now, you're not just going to accidentally start reading it. And so here's the plan for the manager. He, can't, he cancels out people's debts. He slashes it. That's his plan. And because he knows what's going to happen, he knows the response is going to be positive and people are going to say, hey, Listen, this guy has just saved me a lot of money. I'm going to welcome him into my home, right? I know from my, listen, I'm still paying student loans. And if you come to me tomorrow and cut my student loans in half, you are welcome in my house any day of the week, <laughs> right? I'll cook for you. I'll give you a place to sleep, everything. Because he knew that relationships were going to be built because of that. The same type of plan would be for if we were having this goal of reading our Bible three times a week, right? You would need to set a plan. When am I going to do this, right? Like, what are the three days I'm going to pick? What am I going to be reading? What time am I going to be doing this, right? Do I, do I need a pen? Do I need a journal? Am I going to be taking notes? If I have questions, who am I going to speak to, right? This is all part of that. Jesus and everything that he did is strategic, and he expects the same thing from us because that's the way that we need to operate. So are we doing those things? 
Just like the manager here, take steps to accomplish this. And so when Jesus says this phrase in the verse, he says, people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. What he's saying is that this man is more strategic in planning for the only future he cares about, that he's concerned about, than Christians are with planning for eternity. He's more strategic, only planning, he's only planning for the rest of his life on earth. Right? And so it's not saying that you shouldn't plan for retirement and those things, but if that's the only thing that as Christians we're thinking about, then there's a disconnect there. Christ has called us to so much more. He's not called us just to work and then worry about retirement and then just go into cruise control. Listen, I would love to retire and play golf seven days a week. I would love that. I mean, I don't, that's not possible, right? But, but, that, but, right? but that's the kind of thing we think about. What if instead of just thinking about that, we also thought, you know what? How can I use my time and my resources that God has given me to impact eternity, to further God's kingdom? We need to be thinking about what's happening, not just for the rest of this life, but for the rest of eternity. Not just for ourselves, but with people who come with us. Because we know, if you're a believer in Christ, you know that eternity is real. You know that that awaits. Why wouldn't we do everything we can, financially and otherwise, to bring other people along with that? Why wouldn't we do those things? And especially because in, when Jesus talks about verse 9, this is a key part. So this, this is one I think is a little bit tricky for us to understand at times. It says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What Jesus is saying here is that anytime our financial resources are used to bring people to Christ, those people are our friends for eternity. And they will welcome us into their eternal dwelling. Just recently, I think it was back in April when we had our Compassion Sunday and a lot of us chose to sponsor Compassion Kids in the country of Togo. Here's the awesome thing about that. If you are a believer in Christ, and through your giving, this child in Togo becomes a believer in Christ, you guys are going to be friends for eternity. And we can't fathom that because the majority of us will never meet those kids that we sponsor. But what Jesus is saying here is that there will be that time in eternity where that person is going to welcome you into their home. I mean, like that's exciting. That's exciting. You know, when I was growing up, the thing I always heard about heaven was we're going to be on a cloud just floating. And then the more I read the Bible, the more I was like, no, that's not really true. Like, we're going to be enjoying each other. We're going to be eating together, drinking together, spending time talking, having relationships. And that's what Christ is saying right here. Every time that we use our resources to further God's kingdom, that builds friendships for eternity. And we love friendships. Now, this idea of being strategic, this idea of being intentional, a lot of times we think, you know what, that's, that's a good idea. I do need to be more purposeful in how I share my faith in the things I do. But then a lot of times we want to follow that up with, but please don't tell me how to spend my money. Please don't tell me that I need to get my finances involved in this because I really need to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. The Bible calls us, as Christians, to be generous. It calls us to be strategic and to be generous with the money that God has given us. And so the first thing we need to establish is that everything you own, every dollar you have to your name was given to you by God. Everything. Everything. And we'll see that in Scripture. In First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 12 through 14, it's going to be up on the screen. This is David 
speaking to God. David's the king, right? Like he's done everything. He's, he's obviously exceedingly wealthy. He can have whatever he wants. When he speaks to God, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Here's the key here. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Everything you have in your life has been given to you by God. Every penny you've ever made has been a gift from God. Also, just to show in the New Testament, as we read this morning, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything good, every perfect gift in your life comes from God. The common objection to that is when people begin to say, but you know what, listen, I worked hard. I earned all this money I have. It's mine. I'm gonna do with it what I see fit. Okay, so my response to that would be a couple things. First of all, who do you think gave you the gifts to perform your job? Not everybody can do what you do. You were specifically gifted by God. Again, something that you did not choose. For most of us, the field that we're in, we didn't grow up thinking that that's what we were going to be doing. Right? I grew up thinking I was going to be a professional baseball player, but that didn't exactly pan out because I can't hit a curveball. <laughs> but that's how we do that, see? That's, that's, that's what is happening. God has given us those gifts that we kind of gravitate toward. The things that you love to do, the things that bring you joy, they don't bring everybody else joy. Why does it bring you joy? Because that is how God designed you. That's how God wired you. The fact that you live where you live now is a gift from God during this time. And so your response is, you know what? I, I, I work hard. This is all mine. I'm the one who made myself wealthy. Okay, so let's think about your circumstances. If you were born on a mountain in Tibet in the 13th century, there is no amount of hard work that's going to make you wealthy. If you were born during the Great Depression, just because you work hard did not mean that there were jobs available. Everything from your circumstances to your gifting, literally everything was given to you by God. And until we recognize that, until we see, no, this is not my money. This is 100% God's money, and he's allowing me to use that to further his kingdom. Until we see it that way, we're never going to want to give. We're never going to want to see that we need to use those things to further God's kingdom. And so I say these things, and I feel like I can say this with, um, because I have experience in this. When Lindsay and I first got married... We were Christians. We went to church every Sunday. We did not give a penny to our church, right? And it's kind of embarrassing to say now at this point, but let's be honest with you. We didn't, probably for the first couple years of our marriage, we did not give. And so our our thought was, you know what? We just don't have the resources to give. That was our, it was a half truth, right? It's a half truth. This, This is what we told ourselves. We can't afford to give to the church. We can't afford to do that. And so a half-truth is pretty much a whole lie, right? That's how that works. But that's what we had convinced ourselves. And maybe for some of you today, that's what you're telling yourself. I can't afford to give to the church. And so if this is a half-truth, we have to think, what's the whole truth? 
And so here's the reality that we didn't want to see. We can't afford to give to the church and still live the lifestyle we want to live. That's the reality for most of us, for most of us, for 99% of us. That's what it is. I can't be generous and give to things that further God's kingdom because then I'm going to have to sacrifice the stuff I want. That's the reality. That's the truth. And that's not for all of us. I'm not saying that all of us are, are, in, that, are in that spot. Right? I, know, I know people come across hard times. I'm not saying that this is 100% across the board. But I would be willing to bet it's between 98 and 99% of Christians who don't give in church that that's our response. Or that's the truth that we're refusing to see. I can't be generous. I can't give and still continue the lifestyle I want. And that's what we told ourselves for a couple of years. Another thing we told ourselves, we were living in, in Houston, Texas at this time. And we went to Second Baptist Church, Houston, which was a massive church. Um, the reason we first went there, one, it was down the street from our house. Two, there was a former professional baseball player who was the pastor. And so I was like, awesome, we're going to go hear this guy. Because he told baseball stories in every sermon. So I was just, I loved it. Anyway, sorry for kind of going off the side there. But our thought was, you know what? There are thousands of people here. A lot of them make more money than we do. The church is fine. The church doesn't need my money. And, and that was true, honestly. Whether or not we gave, the church was going to survive without our giving. But what we began to realize through hearing sermons and through reading scripture was that our giving is an act of worship. So by not giving, we're refusing to worship God. Because here's the reality, and this, this is something that kind of, it, it hit me in the face the first time I heard it, and it was very painful, and I got mad, but that didn't make it less true. If I'm a Christian, and everything I have belongs to God, and in his word, he has told us to give and be generous, then when I don't give, it's not because I'm stingy or because I'm cautious. It's because I'm a thief. It's because I'm a thief. And as much as we do not love hearing things like that, if you're in that situation, the same is true for you. If we are Christians and it all belongs to God and we're refusing to give, listen, even if it's not giving to this church specifically, you need to be giving to things that further God's kingdom because that is for his glory. That's why he's, he's not giving you the resources and these things to do just so you can spend it all on yourself. God's gifts are not from you, but they are for you to give to others, for you to share with others. And that's a painful thing to think about. Like, I don't, you know, to hit this realization that I'm basically robbing God because the things he's given me, I'm deciding, you know what, I'm going to keep this for myself. And so what we want to do is we need to live strategically. We need to live generously as well. This idea, this, this phrase kind of strategic generosity is something that I think of a lot. Because I, don't, because I know that I have not been good at that. Right? It's, it's not just, I don't mean it's just the church in general, like specifically myself, I have not been good at that. You know, just, just so, yes, Lindsay and I do now give <laughs> consistently, uh, but there was a time where, again, we didn't give anything, and we had excuses, and they sounded great at the time, but they were really just lies we were feeding ourselves. So let's look in verses five through eight. How does the manager, we always want to go back to the text for these things, right? I don't ever want... Anything we say up here, we do not ever want it to be our opinion. We want it to be based in Scripture and to see what God has to say. And so what this manager does is he takes a huge chunk of debt away from each person. 
Now, here's the interesting thing. Because this manager was in charge of these accounts, any, any money that comes in, he would have gotten a portion of. He himself would have received some of this money. So basically, he's even canceling out money that he would have gotten. Now see, at first this doesn't seem smart, but this is very strategic thinking. Because he understood two principles. The first principle he understood is that relationships are greater than money. Relationships are more important than money. He knew that. He knew that he would sacrifice some money now to be able to build these relationships. Right? Whenever you hear this story, you know, some, somebody has like, you know, you've read these stories before, oh, this $5 million lake house burned down. And so usually the family's response is, you know, the house burned down, but my kids and my family are safe, so I'm okay. And that's true. Like, that really is true. Because relationships are so much greater than money. But we sacrifice that so often in the name of money, in the name of getting the things we want, we sacrifice these relationships. The second principle he understood is that long-term thinking is greater than short-term thinking. I mean, that goes across the board literally in everything that we do, right? If you're investing money, long-term thinking is better than short-term thinking, right? The same thing with this. This man says, okay, as he's going through this thought process, either I can keep this bill high and I can get a little bit of money now, but what's going to eventually happen? That money is going to run out and he's going to be back to where he was. But because he's building these relationships, he's thinking he's going to be taken care of long-term. And again, for him, long-term only means for the rest of his life on earth. What are we doing when we're thinking long-term for Christ? Because we fall into the short-term thinking trap. That's what we do. And the, and the advertisers know that. They know that we're going to buy these things. Anybody here? I have an iPhone. Anybody here have an iPhone? Okay. I'll show you a picture from the very first uh, iPhone presentation. This is Steve Jobs, the very first one. It says, your life in your pocket, but I want you to notice the phrase under that, the ultimate digital device. Ultimate means it's the best ever, like you'll never need anything else. In September, Apple is having a keynote announcement for the iPhone 11. But we believe this. Every time something like this gets released, you know what, I, I need the new phone, I, I need a new car, I need a new house, I need new things. This is going to be the one thing that allows me to be complete. And so we continue to think short term instead of saying, you know what, how about instead of that, you know, I can do something. You know, we have CHC that we give to, the Christian Help Community in Vallejo to help the homeless, right? Those are things that we are doing with our resources that can further God's kingdom. There are people that you know that are missionaries, people that this church supports. Kent Matsui was here a few weeks ago. Because of the resources that our church provides him with and that some of you individually provide him with, God's gospel is being shared in Hawaii. That's an amazing thing. And that's, that is long-term thinking. So for us, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be doing this idea of long-term thinking. Again, not that, not that we cannot purchase things, not that we cannot have things, but for a lot of us, those things are the driving force behind why we do what we do. They're not an also kind of a thing, right? When we come to Jesus, we look at our, we look at our paycheck. You know what? I'm going to do all the things I want to do. And then if there's anything left over, I can give that to God. That's the short-term thinking. The long-term thinking is, you know, every, every penny that I invest in furthering God's kingdom will have eternal impact. So how about I start with that in mind, and then whatever's left, I can live off of. And so if I just leave you with that, 
then the only thing you would have gotten from this is try harder. I need to try harder with my money. But we're going to go further than that because we always want everything to be about the gospel. Everything Jesus did was strategic and everything he did was generous. Think about even his death on the cross. It doesn't make sense, right? If Jesus is supposed to be the king, why would he die? Yet he was intentional about that. Everything that he did, every step that he made, where he went, the places he went to, the time he went to them, who he spoke to and how he spoke to them, everything had a determined purpose. Jesus did nothing accidentally. Everything had a purpose, including his death on the cross. There was nothing in all of history that was more strategic or more generous than Jesus giving his life for you and for me. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus had perfect relationship with God the Father. On the cross, for that moment in time, he gave that up so that we could have it. Unless we understand that Jesus operates in this way, we never will. We never will. If we don't understand that Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection was strategic and was generous, we're never going to be the kind of people who think, how can I live that way? How can I live that way? How can I do that? How can I be thoughtful about what I'm doing? How can I be generous about what I'm doing? And that's what we want to do as a church, as the church leadership here. That is what we want to do. We want to be strategic with what we're doing to further God's kingdom. We want to be generous with who we're supporting to further God's kingdom. So is this something that you're doing in your life? If you're claiming to be a Christian, how are you doing this? And we're all on this journey together, right? One of the things that we talk about in our staff meetings is how can we help people to take next steps in their faith, right? How can we help ne people take next steps on their journey? The same thing goes with this. We're all in different spots, right? As long as we have time here, we're all, there's all a direction where you're all moving. So what I don't want you to take away from this is, hey, the church wants more of my money. That's not at all what this is about. My goal with this is for you to see how as Christians you should be viewing the money God has given you. And so with that, I'm telling you, even if you do not give to our church, I, that's fine. That's not what this is about. You need to be giving to something that furthers God's kingdom. For some of us, if we're not giving anything, it's, it's, it's hard just to start giving. But that's my challenge to you today. If you're not giving anything right now, start with something. Start with something. Right? A lot of times in the Bible it talks about, it talks about giving 10% of our tithe. If you're giving 0% right now, it's a big jump for you to get to 10%. It is. That's the reality. I'm not, I don't want to sugarcoat that in any way or pretend like it's easy to do. But be giving something. For those of you who are giving kind of sporadically, you know, you, you find things here, well, I want to support this here, I want to support that there. I would challenge you to give consistently. To give consistently to further God's kingdom. One of the things that's great, when we sit down and look about the things we want to continue to do moving forward as a church, if there is consistent giving, we can plan with that. Right? We can say, you know what, here's, here's how the giving looks. Let's plan how we're going to use that to further God's kingdom. When there's not consistent giving, when it's just random, we, we can't do anything like that. 
because we don't know what's coming in and what's not coming in. And for my wife and I, this wouldn't consistent giving for us. Now, everybody knows when payday is. You know when you get paid, right? And so what we have gotten in the habit of doing is sitting down right then, and we, sit, we bill pay our tithe to the church, right? So I don't have to bring a check on Sunday morning. I don't have to bring cash. It just does it all electronically. I love the age that we're in where I don't have to worry about forgetting my checkbook. Yeah. 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 Being said from our finance guy back there. And so that's something to do. And so it's something that can be done consistently. And that's also a thing we do with our kids. We want our kids to understand that giving consistently is a part of who we are and our faith. Yesterday for the Peddler's Fair, we lived close to First Street, and our kids had a, uh, a lemonade stand. Right? And our kids, in a little bit of time, made $35. They were very excited about that. The first thing we did, we, we sat down with them yesterday as soon as that was done. We said, listen, here's, gave the, the half to my daughter, half to my son. We said, the first thing you're going to do is give back 10% to God. Because we want them to understand, even from a young age, that everything they have, even the money they made, it was hot, they sweated, they did a lot of work, but still everything they were given was from God. And they need to understand that now. The second thing is giving, and third thing is giving proportionally. Right, a lot of times the Bible talks about giving 10%. Especially in the Old Testament, that was kind of the command, was giving 10% of what you had to God. And so some people will say, well, you know, that was just in the Old Testament. That's, it doesn't say that in the New Testament. You're right. It doesn't say 10%. But if you read any time Jesus talks about money in the New Testament, the minimum is 50%. So you can pick which one you'd rather, you know, kind of go for. That's up to you. That's, that's your call. That's between you and God. But giving proportionally out of what we have. And the fourth thing is to give radically. There's some of you, I mean, listen, a lot of the things that we have done are because we have a lot of generous people in this church. The fact that we are able to work with compassion and to basically fund a development center for children that hundreds of children will come through every year. That's because we have people in this church who are very generous and we are grateful for that. And God's kingdom will expand because of it. That's a wonderful thing. So I don't, I don't mean this across the board that nobody's giving anything and that nobody's generous. What I mean is that each of us has a next step. So if you're already giving, it's already proportional. The fourth thing, I would ask you to give radically. That would be my challenge to you. To give to the point where it just doesn't make sense. Again, it doesn't have to be to our church. There are organizations all around this country, all around this world who are furthering God's kingdom. One of the cool things for Lindsay and I, her cousin and his wife just moved to New York City to help a church plant. And so for us, like that was, that was above what we normally give to church, but that was an exciting opportunity for us to know a place like Brooklyn, New York, this church is going to be started and people are going to hear about Jesus. So for us, you know, it's, it, we had to make that decision. Do I want to sacrifice some things so that I can give this money, so that we can give this money and we can help further God's kingdom in places all around the country? We want to do that. We're all on the journey. I know this is not an easy thing to talk about, but we have to talk about it. And until we see what Christ has done for us, then everything we talked about today won't matter. You will always find a reason to talk yourself out of giving for God's kingdom. But the thing I want to leave you with today is look what Christ has done for you. Look how generous he was for you and for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. Thank you for the things that you have done for us. 
There is nothing that we could ever do to repay you. God, I pray that you'll forgive us when we think that we are the cause of everything that we have. And we think, you know, I'm the reason that I have money. I'm the reason that things are going so well. God, that's a lie. Forgive us for that. Lord, forgive us for the, the half-truth of we don't have enough to give to things that further your kingdom. But God, there are things that we definitely need. We, need. we need places to live. We need food to eat, God. Those, those are things that you have instructed us to make sure we are taken care of. But God, for a lot of us, that's not the issue. It's the things we're selfish with, the things we want for ourselves. And so we neglect giving to your kingdom. God, help us to have a long-term thinking, God, about how we can glorify you. Thank you, God, for how you are strategic, how you are generous through the death and resurrection of Jesus and how that's given us everything that we could ever want and more. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.